Our scripture today comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Romans, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness for sanctification. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. So what advantage did you get from the things of which you are now ashamed. The end of these things is death. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. The end is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word. We thank you because we know that you are going to speak to us through it. We ask, O oh Lord, that as you have received our worship, you will grace us with your spirit as this word is proclaimed, and that you will speak your truth to us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us as we gather together to worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're continuing our discussion on Christian freedom. We started this last week, if you remember, in the book of Galatians. And freedom is a word that we said we love. You know, everybody likes the idea of being free. You know, nobody goes, freedom, no, I don't want any of that. You know, people come to this country from all over the world for the reason that we are a free nation, right? That we are supposed to have freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, freedom of speech, so many freedoms that are given to us. So freedom is very important to us. But in Christian understanding, freedom is a little different than the freedom that the world kind of offers, which basically means it's do what you want. Do what you're free to do anything that you desire. Christian freedom for us is defined by Paul in several of his letters. And in Romans, he addresses Christian freedom once again. Paul basically has laid out the argument that just because we have been made free in Christ... It doesn't mean that we should go on sinning. Quite the contrary. He basically makes the argument that because we have been freed from sin in Christ, that we should do everything to strive to stay free from sin and to live righteously before God. The call to righteousness comes directly from Christ, who was blameless. He did not sin yet he took on the sin of the whole world. The challenge, according to Paul, is that we must live as those who are dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I, I got to pause there because what does it mean for you to live as dead to something? What does it mean for you to live as dead to something? Well, when you're dead, you don't relate to any of what you used to because you're dead. There's no email. There's no conversation. There's no, there's no appointment. There's no dealings with. You completely cut off. You are dead to it. It's completely gone. When he writes that we are to be dead to sin, he's saying you got to cut all ties to sin. Anything that was sin needs to be out of your life. You need to be dead to it, and then you need to be alive to God. So it's not just be dead. It's be dead to sin and alive to Christ. One comes with the other. You can't just cut ties with everything in existence and not connect to the force that is God for life in your life. You need to connect to Jesus Christ. Paul says basically this is the only way for us to be able to live righteously before God. He says basically when we are dead to sin and we are alive to God, we are following the example of Christ who was dead on the cross for our trespasses and then was raised from the dead by God the Father into life so that we would have hope of eternity. All of this, of course, is predicated on the fact that we are no longer under the law, but are now under grace. That our salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and not our works. And that we are no longer to live by the flesh, but we are to live by the Spirit, as he shared with us in Galatians from last week. Paul doesn't mince words, though. He's very clear. There's two paths. There's not eight paths. There's not 90 paths. There's not 100 paths. There's two paths. He said there's the path that leads to death, which is full of sin. And there's the path that leads to God, which is through obedience and righteousness and faith in Jesus Christ. There's only two. He doesn't say there's other, other alternative paths. He says, these are the two paths. And he says, depending on the path you choose, you will serve one or the other. You will either serve God or you will serve sin in your life. And whichever one you choose, be sure that you know and that you understand that you are subjecting yourself to that mastery. If you choose sin, you're being subject to sin. And the wages of sin, he says, at the end is death. And if you subject yourself to God through Jesus Christ and faith, then you're under grace and you're accepting him by faith and are saved by it. One of the stories that we studied this week in BBS was a study of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I don't know how many of you have studied that as kids or growing up. I mean, it's like everybody's done that story at some point in their life because it's, it's one of those stories that is so iconic of the Old Testament. These three men were uh, encouraged by the king's uh, servant to basically eat the king's food. And it wasn't bad food. It was the king's food. It was the kind of food that the king would eat. And they refused it. They refused to eat the food that the king had offered them. 
They decided instead that they would obey God and they follow God. And there's all kinds of speculation as to what was on the menu and whether some of the things that they were offered were against their, the, you know, their dietary laws and all this. But more importantly than that, they chose that their allegiance was to God over king. That they wanted to make sure that they were right with God before they worried about anybody else's opinion of them. And as we shared with the kids, we said they had all kinds of food available to them. They were free to eat anything they wanted from that menu. And they chose to limit themselves in what they ate so that they could express their obedience and allegiance to God. In many ways, when Paul is writing about Christian freedom, it reminds me of this story simply because so many of these stories in the Old Testament give us an example in which we are free to do something, but we choose not to do it in order to show that we believe and we trust in God and that our allegiance lies with God. And of course, this story comes from the book of Daniel, so it's not a stretch to go from there to the story of Daniel and the, the lion's den. The king had some advisors that wanted to get rid of Daniel, if you know that story, and they, they basically got the king to set up a rule that said that nobody was to worship any other gods or any other individuals except for the king for 30 days. They wanted to use this law to be able to get at Daniel because they knew Daniel prayed three times a day facing Jerusalem out of his window. What did Daniel do? Did he obey the law of the king? Or did he continue to honor God? He chose to honor God. The scripture says he got up the next morning, opened his window, and prayed to God. And the advisors saw their opportunity, went to the king, said, see, he doesn't respect your laws. Let's get him. You made a law. It says he's got to go in the lion's den. And the king was actually sad about this because he actually liked Daniel. He favored him. The scripture says that he had already thought about putting Daniel in, on top of all the other advisors and making him the second in command over his whole kingdom. And now, because he had made this rule, he had to enforce it because he was the king, and he took Daniel to throw him into the lion's den. Daniel stayed faithful to what he believed was right before God. Do you know what the king said before he threw him in the lion's den? I thought, you know, sometimes we read Scripture over and over again, and we miss certain things. He said to him, may the God who you worship protect you. May the God who you worship protect you. And it wasn't a slight. He wasn't making fun of Daniel. He was really hoping that Daniel's God would be able to spare him. But the scripture tells us that the king was not at peace. He went back home to his palace and he didn't sleep. He stayed up all night. He didn't eat. He didn't have entertainment. He didn't do anything because he was so worried about Daniel and whether he would be there in the morning. And he didn't believe. I want you to understand this. He didn't believe in the God of Daniel. How do we know that? 
because when he shows up at the lion's den, he goes, Daniel, you in there? Did the God that you serve protect you? But he wasn't expecting anybody to answer. He had seen too many times where you throw a person into the lion's den and bones come out. He's like, I know how this works. In, his, in my understanding, there's no way that he comes out. So he says the phrase, did the God that you serve and that you profess to serve continually rescue you? Not expecting any response. And Daniel responds. God sent an angel to shut the mouths of lions. They didn't even take one bite. They didn't even take one bite. I'm right here. This served as such a great witness to the king that the God of Israel was the real God. It just showed him that he was real. And all throughout the book of Daniel, you find these kind of examples where people chose to obey God, to be obedient and faithful to God, to reject sin or anything that would compromise their allegiance to God. And God rewarded that by rescuing them or showing them favor. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, say that three times fast, please. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were thrown into the fiery furnace for not eating the king's food. But if you read the story carefully, the furnace was heated up to seven times the normal strength because the king was so mad that they defied him and would not eat his food. And yet when they were thrown into the fire, it wasn't three men that were seen. It was four. There was four in the fire. And he only threw in three. And so he had them pulled out. And the, the people that tried to get them out got scorched, burned. It was so hot. And the three men didn't even smell like smoke, the scripture says. I mean, all of these things happen. And I, I share with you those stories because I, it ties for me to this scripture in Romans chapter 6. I could not help to see the connection between the stories in Daniel of obedience and following God and rejection of sin and rejection of allegiance to anything but God. And the way Paul tells us that we need to be slaves of righteousness and follow God in our lives as Christians today. In the stories, these men were willing to risk their lives because of what they believed. Are we willing to put our lives on the line for the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? Because that's the challenge that Paul is, is basically giving us today. He's basically saying, you know, if you really want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to follow him all the way to the cross. You will have to be willing to give up your life, to lay it down, to deny yourself. You have to be willing to give it all up and trust that God is going to provide for whatever is needed. 
In every story we did with the kids, they learned of God's faithfulness. Despite of the circumstances. Every single story, they did the one of Elijah where, where the, the oil never ran out and the dough never ran out and they kept baking bread all throughout the famine, you know. Everybody else is, is struggling and here's this jar that never empties. Why? Faithfulness to God, obedience to God, being a slave of righteousness, choosing God over all other things is so important. Paul essentially describes how we should choose righteousness over sin, obedience to God over our own will, and even that of the king and the rulers and those who would be in authority over us. He says we have to choose to be slaves of righteousness even if it cost us our lives. He says, before you were slaves of righteousness, you were free to do whatever you wanted. When you were in sin, you could do whatever you wanted because you did not know righteousness. You did not know what God was calling you to. But now that you do, you are accountable for that. Now you have been freed from those things to become servants of God, not to go back to be slaves of those things. Now you have to bear fruit that leads you in sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. People struggle with sanctification. So I always go back to Wesley's understanding that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, that we come to a moment in our lives where we say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to forgive my sins and to make me right with God. I need you because I can't do it on my own. At that moment, Scripture says that we are justified. We are made right with God through Jesus Christ. Not through anything we did, not through anything that we have earned, but through His grace that was given to us on the cross. We are made right with God at that very moment. But then, John Wesley said, we go into the process of sanctification of being made holy and perfect in God's love. And for Wesley, it was, it was not that you were never going to mess up. It was not that you were never going to have issues, that you were not going to fall short of what you were supposed to do. He knew that those things would happen. He described it as a perfect, perfect inclination toward, towards God, towards righteousness, and towards repentance whenever you did mess up. He said basically this process of sanctification is a process that gets you closer to what God wants you to be in your life. Not as a way of earning his favor, not as a way of deserving heaven, but as a way of expressing your thanksgiving to God and wanting to live right before him. Paul says when you experience that sanctification, you're headed for the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You are moving towards that time in which you will see the result of your faith in Jesus. But if you remain in sin, he says, the wages of sin are clear. They're deaf. 
And I want to tell you that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Death for Paul has to do with complete separation from God. Has to do with being separated from the one who wants to redeem us, the one who loved us, the one who gave his life for us. Separation from that which is eternal in him. Through this scripture, Paul is basically telling the Roman church, you have to choose who you will serve. Will you serve God or yourself? Will you serve God or your sin? Will you serve God or the king? Who will you serve? And if you're going to serve God, then do it with your best and most effort. Continue to walk in sanctification, seeking to please God and obey God in all that he has commanded you. You know, this is a word that sometimes is challenging in the sense that it makes us really reflect on where we are in our faith journey. Are we at the point where our life was demanded from us today? we would be willing to lay it down? Are we at the point where if God asked us to do something radical, we would do it? Or give up something radical, we would do it? Or are we still, are we still at the point that we're telling God how much he can have of our lives and how much influence he can have in what we do? The challenge from Paul today is for us to surrender it all and to give it all to Jesus. He says this is the only way to experience eternal life with God, to have Jesus Christ be our Lord and our Savior. Today I'm going to open the altar up for those that want to come to pray because I believe that all of us need to be reminded that we are sinners in need of redemption. That we all need Jesus. That there's not somebody that needs Jesus more than you or less than you. That we all need Jesus to walk in righteousness before God. And that we are all called to this life of being disciples of Jesus. Let us pray and the altar will be open as we worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, because you are calling us to new life. You're calling us, oh Lord, to leave sin behind, to not be slaves of our sin, of our selfishness, not be slaves of the state or the country or political ideologies or anything else other than you. We ask, oh Lord, on this day that as we, as we come before you today, that you will give us the strength and the resolve to continue to lay down our lives before you. That we will continue to surrender every aspect of our lives, knowing that you want to change us from the inside out and that you want to help us to walk in righteousness with you. Help us, Lord, to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The